So whatever you've been going through this week, I just pray tonight that you're overwhelmed. Amen. Overwhelmed with his joy, overwhelmed with his love, overwhelmed by his presence that I know is in this place. Amen. So that when we leave here tonight, we can all say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You see, this world has the power to overwhelm us with bad things, with negative things and troubling things, but our God has the power to overwhelm us with all good things. Amen. Can we just bless Jennifer and Ben and the singers for just leading us, being obedient, carrying us into the presence of the Lord. Tonight I want to bring you, if you haven't been with us, I finished out or closed out a series on the sower, the seed, and the soil last week. And in my prayer time, and my study, now the Lord is taking me to Luke chapter 13. It's a parable uh, that Jesus speaks to us in that chapter concerning the kingdom of God and those who will enter in. The title of my message tonight is Striving to Enter, and it's just a challenge to us. I know it might seem a little random, where is this coming from, but I know that in my spirit and my time of prayer and where the Lord wants to take us in the Word on Wednesdays, this fits right in, amen? I'm confident of what the Lord has been speaking to me and what He wants to see happen in the lives of His people, and this is part of where He wants to take us. But before we read, go to the Lord one more time in prayer, amen? And just ask Him to make us ready for His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are in this place. I thank You, Father God, that You have the power to overwhelm us, Father God, with Your presence, with Your peace, with Your power, with Your promises, Lord God. And I pray that You would do that tonight, God, that You would just overwhelm us, that we would be overtaken, God, by Your power and by Your presence. I pray in the name of Jesus that, as always, God, You would anoint my mind that you would arrest my mind and arrest my words and arrest my heart tonight and that you would do the same with the people, Father. Whatever's going on in our life, Father, that we would be arrested by the power of your Spirit, God, that you would be seen tonight and that you would be heard. I pray that you would come against every distracting spirit, every disrupting spirit, Lord, that we might be able to receive, Father God, your word this evening. I pray for revelation and truth, Lord. I pray for passion and zeal and power. I pray, Father, that your words would be heard tonight and not mine, God, and that you would just give us the ears to hear and the hearts that are ready to receive. And above everything else, I pray that that you would change us, God, and challenge us by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Like I said, we are reading from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 28, and it says this. He, meaning Jesus, went on his way through the towns and the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And I want to stop right there because Jesus puts in this one little phrase, for many, I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able. I want you to understand that this is not some, just some great philosopher speaking these words tonight. It's not just some man. It's not just some earthly teacher. Jesus said, I tell you, and Jesus is the truth. Amen. So I want you to understand that Jesus is the one speaking this truth. And how many of you know when Jesus speaks, we need to listen? When Jesus speaks the word to us, we need to listen. Years ago, and I'll date myself, there used to be a commercial that says when E.F. Hutton speaks... You listen. But when God speaks and Jehovah speaks and Jesus, the Son of God, speaks, we need to listen. And Jesus said, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. For once, for once the householder 
has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And he will answer, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there you will weep and gnash your teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourself thrust out. How many of you would rather enter in than to be thrust out? Amen. Well, then we need to understand this parable. We need to understand the truths behind it. We need to understand who it is that's speaking these words to us so that we can receive them and allow them to change us. Amen. The first thing that I want you to know about this passage in verse 22 is that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. It says he was journeying toward Jerusalem, but he was on his way to Jerusalem for a reason. Amen. Because how many of you know Jesus never does anything by accident? God never does anything by accident. Everything He does is on purpose. We may not have a clue what He's doing, but He has a purpose and a plan for everything. And Jesus, we need to understand that this journey was, was by design. It, everything Jesus did was always by divine design, and it was always according to the Father's will. How many of you know that Jesus never did anything according to His own will? He did everything according to the will of the Father. So when we read this, we need to understand that Jesus' journey to Jerusalem was part of God's will. And if we undertake that even further, and I'm not going to get too theological, but we have been called to follow Christ. Amen? So the following in his footsteps and doing what Jesus does is part of God's will for our life. If it was part of God's will for Jesus to go to Jerusalem and it's part of God's will for us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it's God's journey for us to understand, God's will for us to understand what this journey is all about. And I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. But it was part of God's design for Jesus to journey to Jerusalem and in this, and in this, uh, parable that he's teaching, it's no different. This was all part of God's will. And the reason Jesus was journeying towards Jerusalem was for the feast of dedication. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But what we need to understand is that why Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem is important because it gives us a better backdrop to this parable. It gives us a better understanding as to the... uh, the backdrop or the setting in which Jesus finds himself. How many of you know that Jesus was always about the setting? Jesus was always about the backdrop. Everywhere Jesus was, he used the setting, he used the backdrop, he used the articles that were around him in order to better accentuate or better explain his parable or better explain his teaching. So for us to understand why Jesus was going to Jerusalem... For the Feast of Dedication, and I'll explain it in a minute, it it sets a backdrop to give us a better understanding of the meaning behind what Jesus was teaching, church. Jesus was always about setting the scene, and here I'm trying to set the scene as well. And here's what we have to understand. The backdrop is that his journey to Jerusalem and, and the backdrop for this Feast of Dedication was the fact that it was during the winter season. It was during the rainy season in the month of December, according to our calendar, when nighttime temperatures could dip below freezing. It was the wet season and it was the the cold season in which Jesus was traveling and in which Jesus was teaching, the Bible tells us. And I can tell you this, church, by, and you, you should know this yourself, but by experience, by statistics, by numbers, by human nature, when it's wet and when it's cold and when it's rainy, people make a lot of excuses, amen? 
especially when it comes to all things spiritual. When it's wet and rainy and when it's cold outside, people tend to stay home. People tend to stay in bed. People don't like to get out in the cold, church, and we're no different. Their priorities seem to change when it's wet and cold outside. You see, when it's wet and cold outside, we'd rather cozy up with a warm little blanket, stay in bed, and come nice and little cozy. But the backdrop of Jesus' teaching, understand this, the backdrop, and what we need to understand is that when Jesus spoke these words about striving, when he spoke these words about entering into the kingdom of God, when he spoke these words about, about the narrow gate and the difficulty of entering in, it was during an uncomfortable and inconvenient time to travel. It was during the wet season and the cold season. It was during the, the winter season. And that was the backdrop, church. It was when the weather was bad. Jesus spoke these words most likely when it was cold and wet outside. And this was the backdrop to his parable. This was the backdrop to his teaching. Understand this. Jesus will never ask you to do something that he's not willing to do himself. He's not going to ask you to carry a cross if he doesn't carry the cross himself. He's not going to ask you to endure if he doesn't endure himself. He's not going to ask you to travel the hard and, and weary road if he doesn't do it himself. He's not going to tell you to go into the highways and the byways during the winter season unless he's willing to do it himself. And this was the backdrop. He was telling this story and telling this parable about the difficulty and he was, they understood where he was going to. They knew all about the Feast of Dedication and when you tie all of these together, you'll understand why the backdrop was important, church. And I'll get to that as we go along. But this is, it was during the cold and wintry season when he tells this parable. And yet we find that Jesus remained faithful to the Father's call. During the cold winter season, when he could have stayed home, when he could have stayed in bed, when he could have been nice and warm and cozy, he made his way to Jerusalem, to the Feast of Dedication. He journeyed towards Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, to the Feast of Dedication. And in this same verse, it tells us that he ministered along the way. He stopped in the towns and stopped in the villages, and he ministered all the way to Jerusalem church all along the way the truth is everywhere Jesus went he made his travels count amen you can read all through scripture and everywhere Jesus went he made his travels count Jesus didn't go anywhere haphazardly he didn't waste his time he didn't waste the opportunity everywhere that Jesus went he ministered along the way you can read all through Scripture as Jesus was traveling here. He did this and he did this and he did this. As he was going to this city, he healed this person and raised that person and delivered this person. Jesus made the most of every opportunity. What's the lesson that we should learn from that? Along life's journey, you and I need to make the most of every opportunity. In the good days and the bad days, on the sunny days and the cloudy days, you and I, on our way to our Jerusalem, we have to minister just like Jesus did. Well, I don't feel like that today it's cold outside i don't want to worship i don't want to minister they got a bad attitude that's inconvenient but but jesus ministered all along the way this is part of this parable and he's telling this possibly while it's raining and cold outside when the crowds were probably little the crowds were probably few a lot of people probably stayed home during this time, but I want us to understand that Jesus made the most of every opportunity. He made, he made every mile meaningful in his life. And you and I need to do the same thing. Every day that you wake up, every step should be meaningful. 
Every word we speak should be meaningful. It shouldn't be mundane. It shouldn't be empty. It shouldn't be without direction. It shouldn't be without vision. It shouldn't be without purpose. Even though you have a routine, every day that routine should be filled with ministry. Amen? On your way to work should be filled with ministry. In the lunchroom, in the cafeteria, it should be filled with ministry. It should be filled with doing the will of the Father just like Jesus did. Amen? This is, this is just part of the parable. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got a dry throat. It's just part of the parable and the truth. Jesus, remember all along the way, I tell you this. Jesus is the one telling the parable. And just like Jesus made the most of the opportunity, we should as well. This parable teaches us that wherever life takes us, whatever season we find ourselves in, we should always be about the Father's business. Amen? We should always be ministering, always be striving, always doing the Father's will in our life, just like Jesus was. On our way to our Jerusalem, we should minister just like Jesus did. Where's our Jerusalem? Well, our Jerusalem is towards our home in heaven. Amen? And until Jesus comes, what are we supposed to do? Occupy, busy, minister, do the work of the kingdom, do the work of the Father. We're not supposed to be like this Thessalonians who stood out on the street doing diddly squat, watching up into the heavens, waiting for the clouds. That's what the Thessalonians did. Well, Jesus is coming. We just stand here and wait. And Paul said, no, you got it all wrong. Minister along the way. Preach the gospel, share the gospel, give the good news, put your hand to the plow, do something for the kingdom. Minister along the way. And this is one of the first things we need to understand from this. This is only the first verse. But this teaches us that, that on our way to our Jerusalem church, we're to be ministering for the Father. We're supposed to be doing the work of the kingdom. We should be stopping in the, the highways and the byways, amen? Work, home, neighborhood, school, family. All of these areas are areas where we should make the most of every mile, the most of every opportunity that God gives us. And when we open our eyes to that church, our lives will change and the lives of those around us will change as well. So often we get caught in this trap. Get up, do this, drive to work, eat, work, punch in, punch out, go home, eat, sleep. Well, where was ministry in that? And the reality is we have to understand what God is teaching us in this passage of Scripture so we can do ministry just like Jesus did. Amen? Jesus did just what He told the disciples to do before ascending to the Father, and that was to preach the gospel to everyone everywhere, even when it was inconvenient, even when it was comfortable, even when it was cold outside, you might say. And we've got to do the same. I bring this to your attention because we need to know and understand that the road to devotion... The road to dedication, the road to righteousness, the road to godly living church isn't always easy. The way of the cross isn't easy. We understand that. The way of the Lord isn't always convenient or comfortable. And doing the will of the Father is often quite hard, and yet we're called to do it anyway. And this is what this passage is teaching us, church. Doing the will of the Father is often difficult, especially in today's society. In today's secular season that seems to be absolutely cold and frigid towards Jesus Christ. If there was ever a generation that was cold to Christ. If there was ever a generation and an environment and a society that was cold to the cross and cold to the cause of Jesus Christ. It's today. It's a cold and chilly season that we find ourselves in. Even in the house of God. And the reality is there's not enough individuals ministering along the way during this cold and frigid season that we're in. We need to bring the light of Christ. 
We need to bring the fire of the word. We need to bring the things of God and heaven down into this frigid society that we live in so that they can be set free. But the sad reality is we allow the environment that we in to freeze us instead of us warming it up, church. In good season and bad season, we're to be about the Father's business, doing His will, church. But as difficult as it may be, the Lord calls us to walk faithfully anyway, regardless of the spiritual season that we might find ourselves in. The reality is God calls us to walk faithfully towards our Jerusalem, like I said, whether the skies are sunny or gray. He calls us to walk faithfully to the Father and with the Father and towards our feast of dedication, which I'll get to, no matter the season that we're in, and and we are to minister along the way, just as Christ did. Every moment of Christ's life, He ministered. Even when He was on the cross, He ministered. Even when He was on the road to Golgotha's hill, He ministered. He went through more hard seasons than good seasons, amen, and he ministered all along the way. Listen, we're these fair-weathered Christians, warm-weather Christians that think the only time where we only do minister is when the sun's out and everything's good. But listen to me. The reality is when you're in a difficult season and I'm in a difficult season, when we're in the middle of a storm, when we're struggling against the winds and struggling against the waves, when the whole world seems to be caving in around us, according to the Word of God, we should still be doing ministry. We should still be doing ministry. Understand the story of Job. When he lost everything and he was going through a storm, what I always find interesting, and you know it, through the whole chapters, the whole story of Job, until he did ministry, his situation didn't turn around. How do I know that? Read the last verses of that passage. When he began to do ministry concerning his friends, when he began to pray about their needs and pray about their situation and pray about their life, God came in and restored him twice. And so we have to understand that even, listen, even in our heartache, God cares for us. God loves us. God's got his hand upon us. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. But he doesn't want us to throw in the towel and say, woe is me. He wants us to minister so that he can restore what the devil has taken away. We need to understand this is what this parable is all about too, church. We need to walk faithfully to our Jerusalem no matter the season. Whether we're in a season of lack or plenty, we got to give God praise. We got to be light and we got to be salt. Whether we are in a time of difficulty or ease, we got to shine the light. We got to share the gospel. We got to be of good cheer because He overcame this world, church. Whether we're in a season of heartache or happiness, we need to keep on ministering on our way to Jerusalem. And the truth is, it won't always be easy. Jesus teaches us that. It won't always be sunny. It won't always be warm. There will always, always be a cold and rainy season in our life. But God calls us to minister along the way anyway. The sad reality is, what I just explained is why so many individuals won't devote themselves to the Father. It's why so many won't consecrate themselves. It's why so many don't uh, commit themselves to Christ or or follow Jesus Christ because the journey is often hard and difficult. Because the journey is often cold and wet and uncomfortable. And we don't like to get wet. We don't like to be cold. We don't like to be uncomfortable, church. 
But this is what this uh, parable is teaching us. We need to be willing to do that. It's where, like I said, this, this teaching that I'm giving you is where we get this fair-weather Christian. It's where it comes from. It refers to those who follow in the sun, but not in the storm. They follow when everything is going good. They follow when everything's going their way. They're following when the birds are chirping and flying around and the skies are all blue. But as soon as things get tough, as soon as things get rough, as soon as the skies grow gray, as soon as it begins to thunder, as soon as it begins to rain, as soon as it begins to get cold, they fall away, church. But that's not what God has called us to do. It's one of the reasons why I have such a problem with all these prosperity preachers that are out there. And I call them fluffing stuff preachers as well. It's because they fail to equip the believer for the stormy season. If you listen to them, they are never equipping the believer for the storm. They're never equipping the believer for the difficult time. They're never equipping the believer for the cold, rainy, wintry season. They're not equipping them to strive. They're not equipping them to persevere. They're not equipping them to, 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 to struggle through the storm. They just want everything hunky-dory and hunky-dozy. So when the storm comes in, guess what? Oh, boy, they wither up and die. They fall away. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful of the doctrine that you intake. Listen, there are times where you need to receive blessings and good words. There's times when God wants the sun to shine on your life. There's times He wants a smile on your life. There's times He wants you to be on the mountaintop. But good Lord, the journey to the cross is ups and downs. It's, it's, it's four seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. And we have to learn how to endure through all of them. I shared that in my series on the sower, the seed, and the soil, the individual that's planted properly. The individual that understands his teaching blooms what in every season, not just in the sunny season, winter, spring, summer, and fall. They bloom. It doesn't matter how cold it is. It doesn't matter how rainy it is. It doesn't matter how dry it is or how hot it is. They bloom. This is part of the teaching that Jesus is trying to give us in this passage of Scripture. And it's exactly why Jesus said, strive. Strive. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But he said, strive, because it's not always easy. Another thing I want us to notice real quickly in verse 22, again, I'm still in the first verse, is that Jesus, according to this passage, didn't just stop in the big cities. He didn't limit his ministry to the privileged or the well-to-do. He traveled the highways and the byways, the Bible says. It says he stopped in the town, cities, and the villages. He didn't limit his ministry to the big shots, church. He traveled and through all of the other cities as well. He wasn't just concerned about the big shots. He wasn't just concerned about the individuals with titles at the beginning of their name and at the back of their name. He wasn't just uh, interested in the, the big money givers. He was interested in everybody. Remember, Jesus was born into a manger. He arrived on the scene in a manger. And the announcement of his birth was made to what? Not princes, but to paupers, shepherds out in the field. This is how Jesus ministered, and it's how we're supposed to minister as well. I share that because it's a reminder of of the Great Commission, highways and byways, big cities, little cities, Big shots and little shots. Big men and pipsqueaks. That's who we're supposed to minister to and everybody in between. Don't just minister to the big shots thinking you might get something out of them. Minister to everybody. That's another problem with these prospect men. They just, ah, don't let me get going there, Lord. When you minister, you are to not to be 
You're going to minister to everybody. I'll just put it that way. Don't be a respecter of persons. God wasn't, Jesus wasn't. He went into every city, every town. Didn't matter the color, doesn't matter the, the race, doesn't matter the socioeconomic status. Minister to everyone that comes your way or where God leads you, amen? So this is one of the things that we need to understand. Jesus never limited, limited his ministry to the headlines and the spotlights. He made his way into the smaller villages as well, which would have been even more difficult. Remember the backdrop. It would have been even more difficult to get there. I don't know about you, but you think about it when bad weather comes here up in Pennsylvania, where, where I come from, and when snow would hit and bad weather would hit, the back roads into the small towns were almost impossible to travel. And the same thing's down here. You know, there's a lot of towns when if it snows and the weather gets bad about here, the main roads, they're wide open. But you get back into these small little cities, forget it. But Jesus went into these anyway. This is the backdrop. The disciples and the followers saw him going out of his way into the small cities and into the backwoods, ministering to the people that might not have even been able to get out. And this is what God is calling us to do. It's part of this parable, ministering along the way. Don't look at that person and say they don't need it. Don't look at that person and say they don't deserve it. Don't look at that person. Don't just stay on the highways and the easy ways. Make your way into the small cities. Don't wait for the big lights. Don't wait for the big shots. Don't wait for your name to be plastered all over the place. I did this there. Listen, the reality is if you're in it for the headlines and the bright lights, you're in it for the wrong reason. If you're in this thing called Christianity for the Cadillac and the Cartier, you're in it for the wrong reason. This is what we have to understand if we're only in it for the promise and the plenty. And there are promises and there is plenty. But if that's the only reason we're in it, we're in it for the wrong reason. If we're in it for the applause and the accolades, we're in it for the wrong reason. If we're in it to have our name up in lights... To have a pat on the back at every corner, we're in it for the wrong reason because Jesus was the one that said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to be recognized in the kingdom, if you want to pat on the back in the kingdom, you've got to be what? Servant of all. You have to be the pipsqueak. You have to be the nobody. You have to be the one that does those things behind the scenes when your name will never be recognized and your work will never be known. That's who I want you to be. Servant of all is what Jesus said. And actually in, the, in Luke 13, 30, he said the first will be last and the last will be first. This is part of the same parable. He's reminding everybody of what their mindset should be through this whole teaching. You're a servant. Don't forget you're a servant. Don't forget you're a servant. Don't forget you're a servant. Whatever he teaches, don't forget you're not greater than anybody else. If you want to be great and recognized when you make your way to Jerusalem, you better be a servant along the way. You see, if you don't have a servant's heart, you, you'll never minister. It'll always be about me. Listen, the servant ministers, the proud and haughty on their way to Jerusalem, they wait for someone come minister to them. They wait for someone come meet their need. They wait for someone come fill their pocket. They wait for someone come pat them on the back. That's what the proud does. The servant ministers all the way to their Jerusalem, whether it's sunny or gray. And this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us, church. If you want to ultimately enter in, this is what, we're, this is what our heart has to be. And we've not even gotten to that point yet. I still have time, so I'm not rushing. But what we need to understand is this. Is that Jesus... Uh, we'll get back to Luke 13. 
like I said in the beginning, Jesus was headed towards the city of Jerusalem during the winter season to celebrate the Feast of Dedication. It was also called the the Festival of Lights. Today we call it Hanukkah. I'm not going to get into the deep meaning or the historical meaning. You can go study that on your own. But I want to give you enough information again to create a backdrop and understanding of this parable, what surrounds the celebration. I will tell you, at its heart, it was a time of rededication. It was a time of devoting or redevoting oneself to the Lord. It was a time of consecration. It was a time of separating oneself from the contaminating influences of the world and offering yourself to God for holy use, the Bible says, for noble use, not for menial use, but for holy use. Ultimately, it was a time to celebrate the historical purging of the temple that was once defiled. You see, there was a moment when the the temple was defiled. Antiochus Epiphanes was a ruler that came in, conquered the city, and overtook the temple, and he defiled the temple by taking swine and slaughtering them on the altar. And if you know anything about Bible, swine, pigs, they were unclean. And instead of taking an acceptable sacrifice, he brought swine into the temple of God and he killed them and he scattered the blood and their bodily fluids all throughout the sanctuary, scattered it on all the seats, scattered it on the musical equipment, scattered it on the laver, scattered it on the lampstand, scattered it on the altar, scattered it on the incense, scattered it all throughout the the temple of the Lord and he defiled the house of God. But this celebration, the festival of lights or the feast of dedication was the celebration of the day that when they took back the temple and they rededicated it to God and they cleansed it and they purged it and they took out all of the dirt, all of the things that were unclean and they rededicated it to the Lord. They redevoted it to the Lord. They took everything that was unclean, all of the utensils, all of the tools, all of the instruments, all of the furnishings that were in the temple of the Lord, and they rededicated them to God. That's what this was all about. This is where Jesus was journeying. This is where the followers were going. It was this occasion once a year in what we call December of a time where they would rededicate themselves to the Lord. Everything unclean about them, because guess what? Who's the temple? We are. We're the temple of the Lord. And it was a time of rededicating all of these things to God. And this is what was behind the whole reason Jesus was journeying to Jerusalem church. And one of the things that we have to understand, one of the saddest things, the sad reality is when we look at our lives sometime and you look at the spiritual condition of our church, sometimes we are Antiochus. Sometimes we are the ones that bring the pigs, into His presence. Sometimes we're the ones that come into the house of God and the temple of God and we defile the temple, church. We bring the pigs of adultery into the presence of the Lord. We bring the pigs of fornication into the presence of the Lord. We bring the pigs of pornography into the temple of the Lord and into the house of God. We sleep around We have kids out of wedlock. We shack up. We do all these terrible, worldly, wicked things in in the temple of the Lord. Sometimes we are Antiochus, Epiphanes, scattering filthiness and uncleanness all over the house of God. I'm not talking about our people, but I'm telling you that sometimes there is uncleanness standing 
Sometimes, not Pastor Chad, uncleanness is playing. Sometimes uncleanness is standing right here behind the pulpit, lifting up hands out there in the house of God, bringing pigs into his presence. And we wonder why there's no power. We wonder why there's no healing. We wonder why there's no revival. We wonder why there's no answer to our prayers. We wonder why we're not being received. We wonder why our praise don't go anywhere. We wonder why our worship doesn't go anywhere. Because we've got some swine running around in our life. Running around in our household. Do you, are you beginning to get a picture of why this feast was so important and what he was teaching the people that if you want to enter in, if you want to experience the kingdom of God now and then, there's something you've got to do and it starts with a cleansing. That's the main reason Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the rededication because the reality is there's some of us that need to rededicate ourselves to God. We need to redevote our marriage. We need to redevote our finances. We need to redevote our mind. We need to redevote our speech. We need to rededicate and redevote ourselves to the Lord. The reality is, guess what? We should be doing that every day. Every day. Every day we should be rededicating ourselves to the Lord. Why? Because every day this world has the power to pollute us. Every day. The devil wants to kill a swine on your altar. Wants to throw blood here, throw blood there, throw, throw what's unclean in your life. For one reason only, for you not to be able to enter in. Can't enter into rest, can't enter into healing, can't enter into the blessings, can't enter into the promise of God, can't enter into the presence of God. Because no one clean thing, the Bible says, shall stand before me. You understand, I hope, I'm just trying to paint a picture so you can better understand this parable that Jesus is teaching. I think we forget some of this sometimes. I think if we understood this teaching and the care we must take when we enter into the house of God, am I clean? Am I clean? Do I have things in my life that should not be there, church? Listen, this is what's at the heart of where God wants me taking whoever comes on a Wednesday. This is the direction God God has for His people at least on Wednesday. I know the pastor wants the same thing, but it's where He's having me go. Spiritual growth, consecration, faithfulness. Understanding our responsibility towards God, holiness and righteousness. Because without these things, without holiness, the Bible says, we shall not see God. And I'm not talking about whether it's next week or next year or next, next century. Without holiness, we won't see God even here. We won't see God's power. We won't see God's presence. We won't God see God's promises being fulfilled in our life without these things. This is what this parable is all about. And if I don't finish, I'm going to finish next week. Amen? But here's what we understand. We have to understand. We cannot be Antiochus. We cannot be Antiochus Epiphanes and expect to experience the things of God when we're defiling the temple. We have to be willing to make our journey to Jerusalem and redevote and dedicate ourselves, cleanse ourselves, consecrate ourselves, amen, 
so that the kingdom of God and the power of God can be manifest in our life. It's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, come out from among them and separate yourselves and touch no unclean thing and I will receive you, Jesus says. God says, I will accept you. He's talking about being set apart. He's talking about being holy. He's talking about being purged and and clean. He says, come out from among them and be separate and touch no unclean thing and then I will receive you. What does that tell me? It tells me that if we're out there touching the unclean thing, if we're playing with the pigs, He won't receive us. He won't receive our prayers. He won't receive our worship. He won't receive our tithes and our offerings. Keep bringing them. We need them. But if you want to multiply it in your life, you got to cleanse yourself. You understand what I'm saying? If you want them to be multiplied, you want that 30, 60, 100 fold. When you bring something to God, you better be clean. When we come in, I better be clean. If I want my, my word to be anointed and I want my ministry to be effective, I better be clean when I get up here. I better be purged when I get up here. Or my words won't have any power. I, 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 I want to I purge myself every week before I come in here because I want one thing. I want these words to touch your soul. I want these words to have power and impact in your life so you are not overcome, but so that you are an overcomer, so that you can enter in church. It's why Paul says again in Romans 6.13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part, every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Every part. Every part. Our mind, our eyes, our tongue, our hands, our feet, Our belly rumbles, I'm hungry. Every part we need to offer to God is instruments of righteousness. Please understand, every instrument in the temple had a holy purpose. It was to only be used for that. Whatever it was designated to do, it could only be used for that one sole purpose. And it was considered holy. But when Antiochus came in, he, he... made everything impure. And all of those things had to be replaced. All of those things had to be cleansed. Every part that we have is to be holy. Every part that we have has one purpose. As a Christian, as a believer that has been brought from death to life like he's talking about, it has one purpose and one goal. Do we know what that is? It is to glorify the Father. It is to honor Him. And if any part of our body is unclean, It doesn't bring glory to the Father. It doesn't bring glory to God. And we are not pleasing and we're not acceptable to Him. So we've got to purify all of our parts, every part. And this is at the heart what the Feast of Dedication was all about. It was all about offering ourselves to God. And I'm going to start winding this down. It was all about consecrating and devoting and dedicating ourselves to the Lord. It was all about presenting ourselves to God as a what living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Not unholy and unacceptable, but holy and acceptable. This is our responsibility We're the ones that have to examine ourselves and we're the ones that have to present ourselves. All of these passages, in all of them, the Lord is reminding us that we cannot come before Him unclean and defiled unless it's through repentance. 
Unless it's through a broken and a contrite heart. Paul teaches us that we cannot defile the temple of the Lord with things that are unclean and we are the temple. And we cannot defile ourselves because we have to glorify the Lord. So as I begin to wind this down, unless we too make our way to the Feast of Dedication, regardless of the season, regardless of what the weather might be like in our life, regardless of how inconvenient or uncomfortable it might be, unless we make our way to that place of separation and consecration and rededication and devotion, church, we risk missing the kingdom of God according to this passage of Scripture. Read it. This is what Jesus said, not me, because we find in verse 23 someone asks him a question, and the question was this, will those who are saved be few? Will those who make it into the kingdom of God, Jesus, be few? Will those who are pleasing and acceptable, will they be few? Will those who are ready be few? Will those who make it in church be few? Will those who are undefiled and acceptable be few? This is what the man was asking Jesus. And Jesus answered and said this. It's the title of my message and what I'll wind down with. Jesus said, strive. The very first word he said after the question was asked, the very first question If you don't hear another word that Jesus said, you hear that first word, strive. How do I enter in? Striving. How do I enter in? Striving. How do I make it in? Striving. How do I assure that I'm going to get into the kingdom of God? Strive. He said, strive. Strive to enter by the narrow door for many, I tell you, again, many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Many will knock, I tell you. Many will call out, I tell you. Many will call out my name. Many will plead. Many will beg. But the door will be shut, Jesus said. And they will not be able to enter. They will not be able. Why? Because they were filled with iniquity. Read it. Study it. Because they were filled with impurity. Because they were filled with uncleanness. Because they kept bringing pigs into the presence of the Lord. It's why they would not be able to enter in church. They will not be received, the Bible says. These are the the individuals that will not be received. They will be thrust out, the Bible says. I didn't say that. The Bible says it. God says it. So if we want to enter in and make sure we're entering in, we better make sure that we're cleansed. We better make sure we're pure. And we better make sure we strive because there will always be cold and rainy days in our life, church. And the only way you're going to make it through there, the only way you're going to make it into Jerusalem, the only way you're going to make it into the new city, the only way you're going to make it into the kingdom of God is by striving. And this is what I'll close with. Jesus used the Greek word. Remember, he didn't speak in English. He used the Greek word, agonizomai. Okay, I say it as best as I can. I put up the pronunciation. Agonizomai is how you pronounce it. It's where we get the word agonize from. Look at it. You see the word right in there, agonize. That's where we get the the word agonize from. And what Jesus is saying when they asked, will it, will, will, how did he say it? Will there, will it be few who enter in? Well, Jesus didn't answer with the few. He, re- he answered with the many. Many. I find that interesting. Jesus didn't respond few. He said many won't. He turned it around and said many won't enter in. But anyway, the word means this. It means to agonize. It means to contend. It means to struggle. So please understand, Jesus was saying the only ones that will enter in are the ones who agonize over getting in. 
They're the, the ones that contend for the faith, the one that contend, the ones that battle, the ones that struggle, the ones that put up the fight, the one, not against God, but for God, for the kingdom. You see, if you're not willing to fight for the kingdom, you're not getting into the kingdom. If you're not willing to agonize your way to the kingdom, I'm not telling you this, the Word's telling you this. You're not getting into the kingdom. If you're not ready to, ready to contend for the kingdom, you're not getting into the kingdom. I'm I'm not telling you this. The word is. Why? Because there is an enemy out there that roams about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Unless you're willing to contend against him, unless you're willing to battle against him, unless you're willing to to tow the the rope and, and make your way through, we're not going to get in. We must strive, church. But here's the key. We're not striving on our own. We're striving with Christ. We're striving with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're striving with the weapons that He gave us. But, but again, if we're not using those things, if we're not doing what Pastor Darrell said, if we go through life, if we make our way to Jerusalem on our own understanding and lean on our own strength, guess what? We're not getting in. We've got to rely on Him, depend on Him, call on Him, trust on Him, lean on Him. Amen? We've got to contend. We've got to agonize, church. According to an 1800s author, he writes this. I'm going to close here. The struggle for the kingdom of heaven allows for no sloth. His name is Ralph Earl. He actually was, he's a Christian, but he was just a painter. Had a deep relationship with the Lord. He said, the struggle for the kingdom of heaven allows for no sloth. It allows for no indecision. And it allows for no relaxation. He said, the door is so narrow, we cannot take our worldliness with us. Thus the struggle. Thus we strive. Thus we must strip away all the uncleanness so we might enter in. Listen to me. It's exactly why Jesus said in Matthew 19, 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man or carnal man or earthly man, or worldly man, to enter into the kingdom of God. And if you know anything about this passage, he's not talking about a camel going through a little thimble. He was talking about a passage in the mountains that was so narrow that for a camel to go through it, he couldn't go with any baggage. Couldn't have a load, couldn't have a burden, couldn't have any earthly riches, couldn't have any supplies, couldn't have anything draped over him. It all would have to be stripped away so the camel and the camel only could fit through the eye of the needle. And Jesus is saying the same exact thing here. He's saying that, that unless you're willing to strip off all those things, what was it Paul said? Strip off every weight, strip off every sin, strip off every piece of worldliness. Why? So you can fit through the narrow gate. And listen, sometimes we got to strive to get that stuff off. Sometimes we got to agonize over the things we have to take out of our life and take off. Oh God, I just like that so much. We agonize over it. But without stripping it off, without taking it off, and I'm talking about pride, arrogance, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness. Oh, they, I got to hold on to that, God. You won't fit. I won't fit. Pride won't fit through that passageway. Arrogance won't fit through that passageway. Pornography won't fit. Lust, greed. 
Those things won't fit through that passageway. We have to strip it off. We have to strive. We have to contend. We have to agonize so we can make it in, so we can enter in, so the kingdom can be ours. How many of you want to enter in? Stand to your feet because we're going to close with this. We can say all of those things. God, I want to enter in. But guess what? There's a responsibility for us. And what we can't lose sight of here, more important than anything else, was the feast of dedication. For you and I to enter in, we got to be willing to say, God, I got to rededicate myself. I got to rededicate my marriage. I got to rededicate my mouth. Got to rededicate my mind, my eyes. I've been looking at things I shouldn't look at, saying things I shouldn't say, God. I've defiled this tongue. I've defiled these eyes. I've defiled this mind. I've been harboring things in my heart. I've defiled my heart. I've done this. I've gone here. You understand what I'm saying? There's a rededication that has to take place. Jesus made his way through the rain and the cold to set an example for every one of us to follow. And today he's saying, I know it was a hard word, church. Probably could have been a great Sunday morning service. But God has it for tonight because he wants us to rededicate ourselves, consecrate ourselves. If you're here tonight and you say, God, there's something I need to rededicate. I need to read. Listen, I, I'm lifting my hand. I got to redevote something to you, God. I got to rededicate something to you, God. I got to make clean that which is unclean. I got to get rid of the swine. I need the blood of Jesus Christ to just wash me away. There's only one thing that can cover the blood of swine. The blood of Jesus Christ. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus, I need you to wash something tonight. Amen? I'm making my way to Jerusalem. I'm rededicating myself. That's our prayer. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this evening, God. Thank you for the truth. I thank you for the revelation. I thank you for giving it to me, God. Choosing me to bring forth your word, God. I'm humbled by it and I praise you for it. I thank you that you didn't leave me here all alone tonight, Father. God, I sense your anointing. I sense your spirit. I praise you for that, God. But I also pray in the name of Jesus that you would all help us all, including myself, God. To let this word be reality in our life. God, as we make our way to Jerusalem, God, to that place of rededication and devotion to you, let that be a part of our life and not just our speech, God. Doers of your word and not hearers only who deceive themselves. I don't want to deceive these people. They don't want to deceive themselves, God. We need you to make us clean. God, there's areas in our life that that the devil has come in and he's scattered uncleanness in our life. Maybe we've looked at something we shouldn't look at, said some things we shouldn't have said, harbored some things in our heart, God, that should not be there. Maybe we've gossiped. Maybe we've given room for pride. Maybe we've allowed greed, Father God, to occupy our heart. Maybe there's bitterness and resentment, Father God, that we're just linging to clinging to. But I pray tonight, Father God, that every one of us would call on the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away that sin, to make us new again, God. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, O God, that we might be in right standing. 
that we might be those vessels of honor that are fit and ready for every good work. Let us not yield our instruments to sin, but help us to yield our instruments to you as instruments of righteousness. God, I'm just going through the sermon and I'm praying that you would help us, God, on our way to Jerusalem to minister, to on our way, Father God, to our home in glory, to make the most of our opportunity, to make every mile count, every day count, every word count, every moment count, God. Because there's some people that need to be ministered to, God. So I'm praying, God, this week, that you would make us aware of those opportunities. In the workplace, tug at our heart. In the grocery store, tug at our heart. If we're driving down the road, tug at our heart. If we're in a carpool, tug at our heart. Help us to understand the opportunity and then empower us to make the most of it. To go into the highways and the byways, the big cities and the little cities, to do the things you've called us to do, whether anyone sees it or not, God. Help us to strive. Help us to not give up. Help us to to struggle for the faith, to, to contend for the faith. To strive, Lord God, so that we won't be part of the many who don't enter in, but that we would be part of the few who will be able to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter in to the rest that you have prepared for us. God, I pray a covering over these people, Lord God. I pray that as they go, that your angels would be a hedge about them, Father God. That you would camp about them, Lord God. That you would keep them safe from all of the schemes of the enemy. I thank you, God, that there's no weapon formed against them that will prosper this week. As long as we put our hope and our confidence, our trust in you. As long as we walk in your ways and not our own. Lead us not into temptation this week, but deliver us from evil, God. And cause our cup to overflow. Let these words be life to us and let them bring forth fruit that others can try of as well and see that you're good. We give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, amen. Can we just bless the Lord for his word tonight, church? Amen. If you have a special need, tarry with you. If you need special prayer, especially if there's something in your life you want us to agree with to overcome, we'll linger, tarry, pray. Otherwise, be blessed and strive. Amen. God bless you.